Welcome to Creekside Church. It's great to have everyone here this morning. Um, if you're coming on in, come in, grab a seat. Let's uh, actually let's stand together as we uh, sing this next song. Nothing to fear now, for I am safe. 
sit for a minute. I want to give us a chance to come before the Lord in prayer, um, and we'll just do that quietly as we sit in our seats, but just a few things that we can be thinking about and praying about. Let's continue to pray uh, for God's leading and guidance um, as, we, as we seek his will in, in uh, hiring uh, someone to work full-time with the youth here at Creekside. Uh, let's continue to lift up all of our Wednesday night activities, Awana and uh, Bible studies and youth group. And let's continue to pray for people that are just going through uh, difficult times right now, whether it be with physical health, um, emotional health, spiritual struggles. Uh, and just Aaron, Aaron uh, texted me this morning and said, Aaron and Kara Jones said, hey, let, can you pray for our family? Uh, we're just dealing with a lot of sickness right now and uh, trying to get healthy and we miss people at church. So uh, let's just uh, take a minute, lift up people uh, who are in need, whoever God puts on your heart uh, to do that for just a minute now.
part of our Sunday school group, uh, head to the back, head up with your uh, teachers to your class time. So Steve, come on up.
I must have turned it the wrong way. Okay. It was on before I came up here, and then I switched it, so good. That's right, you cut me some slack. I've been on vacation, so I'm back. Good to be back. Uh, Good to see you all this morning, and if you're online, thanks for worshiping with us. If you happen to be here and this is your first time, there is an additional flap on the bulletin. If you have a pen or if you'd find one and fill that out, when you leave on the welcome table, there is an offering box. That's all we'd ask you to put in the offering box this morning. Just give us a little record of your attendance. If you're a regular attender, you can use that too because we have people that use it to share prayer requests or interest in small groups or things like that. And uh, if you are interested in being a small group, those are being organized. So Doug Elric is in charge of that. If you have interest in that, please check that on that little additional flap and uh, we'll get you in contact with Doug and we'll make sure that you get plugged in or see what we can do about getting you plugged into a small group. Um, I just wanted to uh, say that yes we had a a good time of vacation. I was very grateful that the Lord brought us back safely. Uh, We last time I went on vacation and flew uh, if you'll remember back in January I didn't make it back in time to preach because our flight got canceled. So I was praying that the Lord would bless us with uh, good connections and we wouldn't get canceled and that was all good. It all happened so we're, we're back. So let's pray Father and we'll study the uh, word together this morning. Father thank you uh, for your goodness. I thank you that we worship a holy God, a great and an awesome God who is worthy of our praise and adoration. And I ask now Father that as we continue to worship through the study of your word, that you'd speak to our hearts. I know this passage is ripe with a lot of truth that I pray that you would wash over my soul and drive home to me and to each of us as we seek to live in these challenging times that you have brought us to. And we're here for your purposes, to bring you glory. And I pray that you would challenge our hearts, help us to see the Word of God for what it truly is, the Word of God and not the Word of man, that we might act on it, not only be informed, but transformed by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, there was a teacher in Ireland uh, suspended from school because, in his own words, I said I would not call a boy a girl. There was a football coach in... uh, Dedham, Massachusetts, that lost his job because he was objecting to the curriculum that was being taught in the school that was basically disdaining or denouncing traditional marriage and was promoting an LGBTQ plus agenda. And he was fired because he was opposed to it. And I bring these examples up because they're examples of people who were living out their faith and we're suffering for it. And I think they, they have something to teach us about what it means to, to walk, by, walk by faith in these uncertain times. Now I can't say for sure, and again I'll uh, leave it to my uh, expert fact checker but, uh, to check this. But I believe it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said this. Silence in the face of evil is evil. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. While these current examples that I've given are informative and they're helpful and they're encouraging, they draw their inspiration like we draw ours from the grounding of God's authoritative word. 
And it's God's word and, that his, his, and the guidance that he offers to us in it and the people that he holds up as examples for us that should be the inspiration and the motivation and the encouragement for us to live out our faith in these challenging times. And so this morning we're going to examine another one of these models of maturity and godly living from the Old Testament and his name is Asa. And his story, at least part of his story, is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. So I would invite you to turn with me, if you would, to 2 Chronicles 14. Because his example from God's word and God's command to us from his word serves as instruction. It should govern and guide our attitudes and actions. So I'm going to read 2 Chronicles chapter 14 verses 1 through 15, and we'll look at Asa's example and some of the key components of compelling faith in uncertain times that are unfolded for us in it. I'm in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. If you have a device or a Bible, that's great. If you don't, you can reach under the seat in front of you. You should be able to find one there close to you and turn to this if you can. 2 Chronicles 14. So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and his son Asa became king in his place. The land was undisturbed for ten years during his days. And Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. For he removed the foreign altars and high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherim, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was undisturbed under him. And he built fortified cities in Judah, since the land was undisturbed, and there was no war at, uh, no one at war with him during those days, because the Lord had given him rest. For he said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers and gates and bars, and the land is still, the land is still ours, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Now Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, bearing large shields and spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, bearing shields and wielding bows. All of them were valiant warriors. Now Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Marashah. So Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zephathah at Marishah. Then Asa called to the Lord his God, and he said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you, and in your name have come out against this multitude, O Lord You are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. And the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar. And so so many Ethiopians fell that they could not recover. For they were shattered before the Lord and before his army. And they carried away very much plunder. And they destroyed all the cities of Gerar, for the dread of the Lord had fallen on them, and they despoiled all the cities, for there was much plunder in them. They also struck down those who owned livestock, and they carried away large numbers of sheep and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. Several components, I 
put it that way, several components of, uh, of compelling faith in uncertain times. And the, the center of the text, or the, the way it launches in verse 2, is what sets the stage. So look at verse 2 with me, if you will. It, it's, it declares, And Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. Everything else in the text seems to unfold how it is that he did what was good and right, in the eyes of the Lord is God. And first of all, we see from his life, what should be true in our lives, is that he, we should remove any idol. And I'm not going to ask you to do this, we're not going to do it, but if you looked at chapter 15, it's another incident, another story in the life of Asa, where he did basically the same thing. So it wasn't the only time that he was involved in doing this. It was multiple times in his life that he was involved in leading the children of Israel, the, the, the people of Judah, to do what was right. Okay? So here we see he did what was good and right. How we remove idols. We saw this when I was preaching a couple of weeks ago in Jehoshaphat's life. That compelling faith isn't just about abandoning and turning away. It begins there. So they remove the idol. So it begins with turning away from what hinders our unhindered devotion to God, what stands in the way of our communion with God. And so he removed the isol. Asa removed the foreign altars. In Exodus chapter 34, I think we have this up here, then God said, behold, now this is the children of Israel leaving Egypt and preparing to go into the promised land, right? So what does God tell him? He says, I'm going to make a covenant before all of you, and I will perform miracles which have not been produced in all the earth and moving nations and all the people among you whom you've lived, seeing the work for the Lord, for it is a fearful thing that I'm going to perform in you. Uh, I don't think that's it. Ah, that's not it. Okay. Well, that's not all of it. That's not, uh, I'm going to turn to Exodus 34 because I think it's better than that. Exodus 34. Exodus 34, beginning with verse 10. Says this, then the Lord God said, I'm making a covenant before him in miracles. He did that. Then he says in verse 11, Be sure to observe what I am commanding you this day. Behold, I am going to drive out the Amorite before you, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, lest it be a snare to you. But rather, you are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their asherim. For you shall not worship any other gods, for the Lord whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So there, when they're leaving Egypt, he tells them, you must not allow these idols to influence your life. You must tear down the sacred pillars. You must get rid of these Asherim. You must remove them from you. These foreign altars were, were to be eliminated. <clears throat> well, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, you can just write this down if you want, in verses 1 through 5. So we know what happened. They, they left Egypt, or they, they, they left Egypt, or they left uh, Egypt, and then they messed up, and so they had to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years, right? So they never went into the promised land. But as they get ready to go into the promised land, Moses comes back to them in Deuteronomy and gives them the second giving of the law, and he repeats basically the same thing. You can't allow these foreign gods to in, influence you. You must eliminate them. You must get rid of them. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, he basically gives them the same instruction that he gave them in Exodus 34. No idols, tear down their altars, remove their sacred pillars, follow me alone. Um, <clears throat> but they didn't listen. So that's why we're now in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, and Asa is saying, huh, 
I'm doing it. So Asa began to do what they were supposed to do. They had failed to remove the Canaanite gods from their worship for 400 years. They perpetuated this idolatry. And Asa stood up. And the high places that it says in our text were actually high places. Okay, so uh, Israel is not flat like, you know, go north, west, east of here, 10 miles, and it's flat. Israel's not, there are parts, but most of, so they had high places. And the high places describe the location, the geographic location, but they're also synonymous for the idols that were present in these places that the people worshipped. And he, he tore down the high places, okay? The idols that resided there, the sacred pillars, these were the, supposedly the idols that held Baal, the fertility god, okay? And they were symbols of his, their fertility and the housings. And maybe, I don't know, it doesn't say in the text, but perhaps Asa even tore down the, the high places that Jeroboam had set up. When the kingdom was divided back in 1 Kings chapter 12, the, there was a place in the north and a place in the south because he didn't want the people to go over to Israel and worship God there because then they might go follow Judah. So he set up these high places. Asa perhaps tore them down too. And it tore down the Asherim. These were the detestable. So the Baals were the, the male fertility gods and the Asherim were these pillars and posts that represented the female fertility gods. And he tore them down. In Second King, or First Kings chapter 15, verses 12 through 13. I don't know if that's there, but I wanted it to be there. Okay, I'll read it. First Kings chapter 15. Okay, First Kings chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. And you can write this down if you want. And he, he also put away the male cult prostitutes from the land, and he removed all the idols which his father had made. And he also removed the Maka, his mother, from being queen mother, because she had made horrid images as an Asherah. And Asa cut down her horrid image and burned it in the brook Kidron. 1 Kings chapter 15 is just a parallel passage. It tells about some other things that he had done or a cross-reference there. So he, it wasn't just the physical idols that he tore down. He tried to remove their practices that went along with the idols that would get them away from following these gods. But we understand, if you looked at 1 Kings 15 and 2 Chronicles 15, 17, despite all of his efforts, Asa's efforts to remove the idols, the people still kept gravitating back to them. So 2 Chronicles 15, 17 says that he wasn't able to eliminate them completely. He tried, but he wasn't able to eradicate some of the high places and they still followed the idolatrous practices. But what grabs me is in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 14, the end of it, if there was something that I said, this is what I would want on my epitaph, here it is. The heart of Asa was wholly devoted to the Lord all his days. The heart of Asa was wholly devoted to the Lord all of his days. First Kings 15, chapter 4, verse 14, the end of it, B, 14B, okay? So the question for me, the question for us as we look at the life of Asa is are we removing, are we turning from the idols that allure us? 
An idol is that to which we look for satisfaction and fulfillment, which only God can provide. And so what are those things? Are we, are we turning away from these things? I was fresh out of seminary and our first church that we served in, and uh, I was actually out in the garden, and uh, we had a garden, and uh, some guy, a random guy, just showed up, but it, I didn't know who he was. And he had known, he knew that I was, I, we were living next to a church, so I'm sure he assumed I was a pastor, you know. So he came walking out, and he goes, hey man, and I could tell the guy, you know, had had a, a rough past. He said, hey man, he said, I, got, I got, got someone to ask you. He says, can you burn this weed of mine? I said, what? He says, yeah, I got, I got, I got, some, I got some weed. I, I need to get rid of it, man. I got this problem. I got, I got, I, I, I got to get rid of it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it. And I, I, got, I said, uh, uh. First time I'd ever been asked to, you know, destroy somebody's illegal drugs. Uh, and uh, I said, um, sure, uh, I'll, I'll burn it, you know. So I had a burn barrel out there, and so I, I threw it in, and I stood downwind uh, <laughs> at, 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 when, I was, when it was burning. And, uh, and, and, and a couple days later, he came back, and he says, man, he says, dude, can, can you come to my house? He says, I, I, got, I, got, I, I know I got stuff there. And I just need to get rid of it. Can you go through my house and find? See, he had prescription medication that he was also abusing. And he wanted me to go through his house and open every drawer, go under every. And so I went to his house and I went through the complete house and anything that we found and, and we, we got rid of it. We destroyed it. He was purging what he had idolized. Asa wanted to purge his people, of what they idolized. God wants us, those, if we're going to live with compelling faith in uncertain times, we must remove what stands in our way of communion with God. And so we must ask ourselves, are we taking the steps we need to eliminate that which we look to to provide us with satisfaction which only God can? If our work rivals our relationship with Christ or hinders it are we willing to limit our our efforts at our work our hours if it's possessions are we willing to give some of them away rather than to seek to find more if it's our children and yes children can become idols and so can our grandchildren become idols Maybe we need to learn to say no once in a while. It is a word in, our, in the language, you know, that we, we can say no. It's possible. And I was told no, and I'm still here. I survived. And I'm sure that your children will survive. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's information. I think about, you know, uh, social media. Maybe we need to set a few boundaries, you know. If you're going to open up Facebook, maybe you need to set your timer on your phone and say, okay, this is the time being, you know, when it goes off, I'm done. Maybe it's just we idolize convenience and comfort. You know, I remember we were, we were, we were on vacation and we we're looking for something and we went into a store and it's like one, the people we were with were like, can you believe it? They don't even diet Mountain Dew in this grocery store. I mean, think about that. Like, that's a serious problem when some people don't have clean drinking water. 
And, and it's all relative, right? But it's like, that's what we have a problem with. Some of us have this issue of we want comfort. One way to challenge our idolization of comfort is sign up for the Haiti mission team. I mean, you know, God has used this in my life very many times. I had to push myself out of my comfort zone. I had to push myself out of where I'm in control and God only, well, I realize, I mean, God's always only in control, but we sometimes delude ourselves into thinking that we're in control and we need to push ourselves out of the box into those places where God has to be in control. We know he is. Some people worship money. I don't know about you, but some people went apoplectic when the stock market went down 1,100 points in one day. I mean, it's like how many trillions of dollars of value went out of people's retirement accounts? I haven't looked at mine. We trust in money. Today, there's a whole religion about worshiping the earth. Like environmentalists, you know, like we worship the creation rather than the creator. Like somehow a snail or an owl or something is more valuable than a human being and that God didn't place us on the earth to rule it and subdue it, which is what God's word says, but no, we're supposed to serve it. It's idolatry. And some people idolize comfort and pleasure. As we were on vacation, I was sitting by a man and had struck up a conversation with him and we were talking to him and he was telling me how sad it was that his, his buddy had just retired and 18 months after he retired, you know, I was looking forward to this life of, you know, ease and pleasure and fun and enjoyment and 18 months after he retired, he died. A reminder of how frail we are. A reminder of how we cannot trust in the things that we long for. That that's somehow going to provide me. And I have nothing wrong with you know, him wanting to retire. I'm not saying that's wrong with him wanting to enjoy some of life. But if we're looking to it as that's it. That's the by all and end all. This is not our best life. That's what God's word says. Some preachers say it is, but that's not true. It is not our best life. Our best life is waiting for us in glory if we know God as our Savior and Lord. So we must, first of all, we must remove the idols. And secondly, what we see him doing is the antithesis of removing, or the opposite side of removing, is refocusing on God. Okay. So just like with Jehoshaphat, he simply didn't remove the temptation to evil, but he reoriented, reoriented the people's focus on, on God. Compelling faith just doesn't put off idolatry. It does that, but then it puts on and pursues a relationship with God. And so we see in verse 4, here's what he says, and, and he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law. An ongoing attitude. It's not just something, well, I, I went to church once, you know. I, I walked forward at a meeting once and I became a believer. No, it's to seek the Lord God and to observe the law as an ongoing, regular action, a daily practice, to seek God's person, to cultivate a relationship with God, to to seek God's perspective and, and, and what his practices might be. And then to practice and to prioritize obedience to God. Seek the Lord. 
What do we seek? I mean, think about it. What do you seek on a daily basis? Sleep? Uh, you know? Uh, Mountain Dew? Um, uh, coffee? Uh, sports scores? You know? It's like, oh, man, I've got to find out how, how, how these teams did. Maybe it's a new gaming system, you know? Or the, or the next level at the gaming system you're playing, you know? <laughs> I, I got to this level. I got to get to the next level. Maybe it's just fun. Uh, maybe it's fashion, you know? Like, I'm fashionless without my wife, okay? So it's like, you know, people say, if they ever say to me, well, that's a nice shirt. I say, thank my wife, you know? Because if it was up to me, I'd be wearing the same thing I wore, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, as long as it wasn't, didn't, I, you know, I, I, I do, you know, I wouldn't wear holy pants, you know, I wear holy pants, not holy pants. Uh, so, just kidding. Um, so, you know, maybe it's uh, information. I got to seek gossip, you know, that's why I'm checking Snapchat and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and you know, Facebook. I got to find out what the latest gossip is. That's what my idol is. That's what I'm pursuing. No, that's what I'm seeking. Vacation is interesting. Uh, we were at this place, and some people, it was pretty obvious, they were, they were worshiping the sun, you know, or the effects of the sun. They're, they're, you know, the Bible, the Bible talks about this. In Egypt, Egypt had the god Re. Re is the sun god. And uh, we, still have, we still have people who worship the sun god. Uh, and they, 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 like, lather up, you know, and then they lay. For hours in front, you know, in the sun. And I'm thinking, whew. Then they jump in the pool. And you go, boo, I'm not sure I want to go in the pool. Uh, but uh, they, they, so people are, are seeking different things. So my question for me, my question for us is, do we adequately seek time, actively seek time with the Lord? He is our God. He is, our, you know, the one we worship. We just sang about this. It's nice to sing and gives us a warm fuzzy when we say we worship the, the Holy One. But do we actually spend time praying? Do we actually spend time reading God's Word to let Him speak to us? Say, well, God, God, God spoke to me. Well, did He? Well, He speaks to us in His Word. That's the primary way He speaks to us is through His Word. Are we letting Him speak? And then he says, observe the law. So it's not just seek the Lord, but observe the law. To be doers of the law and not just hearers of the law. And we can only do what we know. And if we don't know from God's word, then we can't do what God's word says. I think too many of us treat God's word like we do instruction manuals for a new appliance. Never look at the thing. Until we have a really, really bad problem. Right? I mean, I don't care. I, I don't know how to run the, the air fryer on our, our new oven. I, I never, I'm not going to figure it out until I need to figure it out. And that's how we approach God's Word. When I got a real problem, then I'll think about maybe looking at God's Word. No, God's Word is His Word to us, it's precious. 
It's what, how he speaks to us, and that's what he wants us to understand. God's word commands us. How, what does God's word command us? We're supposed to observe the law. What does he observe, command us to do? He commands us to pray for one another, to pray for our enemies as well as our allies. You know, in the political situation, you see something that's going awry, and you have an adversary in a, a certain politician. Do we pray for that politician? Do we pray for their salvation or their destruction? You have a neighbor that's obnoxious, annoying. And just remember that we're that person to some people. Okay? I'm the annoying, obnoxious, belligerent, knucklehead neighbor to some people. But do we pray for them? God's calling us to pray. Do we pray for each other? Do we pray? And I hope we put prayer requests in the bulletin, but do we pray? For Lois and her family when she lost her mom. And for their travel. We pray for Vern and Mary as Mary's facing a devastating diagnosis of cancer. To pray for God's comfort, encouragement, and wisdom. Do we pray for Awana? That there's all these little kids coming in that don't know Jesus. And we want to see them come to know Jesus. But it has to be God who removes the scales from their eyes and opens their heart to Him. It's a miracle of God. It's not just because we have a program. And do we pray for God to work? Because if God doesn't work, no work's done. God's word calls upon us to serve. And you've heard me say it before, I'll say it again. Ephesians 2.10, you can go there, underline it, circle it, asterisk it. We're saved to serve. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he foreordained that we should walk in them. Foreordained it. So are we serving? We're just sitting and soaking. Satisfied with, you know, hey, I got mine, I'm comfy, I'm good. God called us to give. Give our time, our efforts, our finances for his work and his service. God called us to love as Christ loved us. See, our culture and even the church often conflicts with Scripture and entices us to focus and to seek something else. Seek money. Seek, prioritize your pleasure. Consume information. I mean, how many podcasts can you listen to anymore? I mean, people say, oh, this podcast, is, I don't have that much time in a day to listen, let alone. Now, I, I get it. If you drive to work or you spend time on the road, you have a little more time to listen to podcasts and stuff like that. Better doing that than texting while you're driving, I guess. Uh, the, the world tests us and calls us to accept things like liberation theology where the focus is that God has somehow placed upon himself the, the burden of removing our oppression and that replaces his call to provide us with salvation. That's what liberation theology is. You're going to remove our oppression rather than remove our sin. Uh, it's, it's abhorrent. It's, it's antithetical to God's word. We must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all that we are normally chasing, God says, will be added to you. We're to be obedient to his word. First John, now, seek first, Matthew 6.33, Obey his word, John 14, 21. I don't want you to just think of pulling these things out of a hat. 
Uh, we're supposed to pray for each other. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. We're supposed to love one another. That's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. We're supposed to serve. That's Ephesians 8, 2, 8 and 9. We're supposed to share the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You should be my witnesses. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you should be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to uttermost parts of the earth. It's not just, it, it, that's the commands of God. Seek first. So how do we focus people on that? I mean, how do we, as individual, you know, as a church and as individuals, how do we focus people on seeking the Lord and obeying His Word? First of all, I think we need to continue to focus on the proclamation of this book as the primary source of our inspiration, motivation, and action. It's God's word to us, and then when we start going off of the rails, we're going to be deviating from this book. And so you check us. This is why we're in the text. We want to go through a text, exposit the text, and draw the principles and points from the text. If it's not God's word that's speaking, it's only man. And if it's only man, then it's not worth listening to. So we, and then that has to have application. We need to practice unity. I am so distraught. A church that I heard at, that, that, that people are, are leaving the church over some minuscule, stupid little thing, only it's not really. There's something else going on in their hearts. Unity in the body. We are a body of believers. And I don't know about you, but I have family members that sometimes hard to be around, and I'm one of those family members that sometimes hard to be around. But my family loves me, and they're with me, and that's what we are, and our bond should be tighter than that of blood, because it's the blood of Jesus. When you practice unity in the body of Christ, we should be praying together corporately. Thank you, Alan, for leading us into a time of corporate prayer, where as a body we come together and pray. We should be living out these things as, 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 as a body of believers. And we should be, in our small groups, in our Bible studies, it should be about the Bible and what God's Word is saying to us and how we can apply what God's Word says to us. How about personally? Well, we should be sharing Christ with our neighbors, right? We all know that. But are we doing it? <laughs> it's a little scary. Same guy that told me about his friend who passed away 18 months after he, he retired. Uh, I was asking him, you know, a little bit about his background. He grew up and went to a private school and then a private uh, secondary school and then a private college. And, uh, and I was, well, man, so tell me about that. And we got to talking about uh, faith. And I said, well, you know, how do you think that, you know, or, you know so, so you think that God, uh, based on his background, I said, so you think God's grading on the curve, you know? So you think that if, we, if we're all good enough, we're going to, well, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, I'm hoping that I've done, done enough stuff that's, you know, I did some, you know, kind of not so bad stuff when I was younger, but I'm hoping that, you know, the, the good's going to outweigh the bad. And I said, well, you know, the Bible really says that God doesn't grade on the curve, you know? So it's kind of like it's pass-fail. Uh, so, you know, we kind of like, Bible says, for by grace we've been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, 
you know, so it's not really works, uh, so nobody can brag about it. So somebody who did more works than you can't really say, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, hoping, I get, I'm hoping I get in. You know, I'm hoping, you know, and then he started talking to me about, you know, we're living in biblical times. And I said, yeah, we are, and, you know, so we need to be ready. You know, all of us are going to die. We just need to be ready to die. And the way we'd be ready to die is if we're trusting in what Jesus did on the cross as a payment for us. So we had this spiritual conversation. He's still convinced, at least as far as I can tell, that he's, he's counting on, you know, God's grading on the curve. So I'm praying for him. But we need to have those conversations and initiate them with people in our family, with people in our neighborhood, with people that we work with. And it doesn't have to be a full-blown, you know, four-point outline of the gospel of Jesus every time we talk to them. But we can say, you know, how can I be praying for you? It's interesting. They ask us to pray for their flight connections on their way home, you know. And it's like, fine, I'll pray for you. And so, God, that's how personally we do it. We, we pray for, then also we pray for, we serve, we forgive, and we encourage one another. Before I went on vacation, I got a phone call, and a brother of mine called up, and he goes, you know, I just wanted to let you know I was praying for you, and I just wanted to thank you for some of the ways that you poured into my life. I went, wow, that was really encouraging. When do we do that for other people? Brothers and sisters in Christ, when do we affirm their giftedness? When do we appreciate their service? That would juice us up to, to be more, you know, like Jesus. It's like, whoa, okay, I can, I can get in on that. I, I'm, I'm down for that. Let's, let's move ahead. I, I want to I work on that. We can, we can examine and we can react to the issues in our culture which I would say a lot of these issues in the culture that I have pushed, I try to push back on are not really cultural. They're biblical issues. Okay? I mean, you look at Genesis, and Genesis is all about gender binary. Marriage is a definition between a man and a woman, and, uh, you know, there's, there's not a lot of wiggle room there. You go a little further into Genesis 9, and, you know, they take a life of an innocent person, that's called murder. Well, actually, Genesis 3. So, life, unborn life in the womb is to be protected. There are dudes and dudettes, and that's it. Uh, they're, they're, the, a man and a woman come together, that's the definition of marriage. That's God said it. That's not Steve Smith said it, it's God said it. And we need to examine our, our culture and, and then react in a way that's consistent with it. And when we, in the face of evil, if we are silent, that's evil. only way for evil to triumph, as de Tocqueville said, is for good men to do nothing. And women. You have social media account? You can speak truth or gossip. <laughs> Choose. You're going to speak truth or gossip. How do we improve uh, Focusing on God, well, here's what I want to do, uh, and I, I'm trying to do this, and I'm going to challenge you to do this. When we see people, well, how about we just go up to them and ask them, you know, how's life? How's your life? Because, you know, we say, how you doing? Everybody says, fine. No, but how's life for you? 
anything I can be praying for you about? You know, uh, maybe we should start asking, uh, have you read anything that's been really encouraging or challenging you from God's word lately? I'd like to hear it. You know, can you share it with me? And then, you know, if you say, can I pray with you about something, maybe we should just stop and pray with them. That's a novel thought. Uh, because that's what God, I think, would want us to do. And we should pray for these people. MacArthur, John MacArthur, says this. He said, the church needs to be more concerned about sanctification. That is, building, uh, being growing together in Christ. When believers are growing in Christ-likeness, it becomes a compelling witness to the lost. When we're becoming more like Jesus, the world looks and they go, hmm, must be something to that. But when we don't or aren't conformed to the image of Christ, the world doesn't care. So we remove the idols, we refocus on God, and then we reinforce the defenses. This is verses 6 and 7, which is an interesting part of the passage. You kind of go, what's that about? You know, they're starting to build the walls, and they're building these cities, and they're fortifying the cities, and they're doing all this stuff, and you're going, it doesn't sound too spiritual. God's provision of rest, and that's what I'm summarizing my assessment of what Asa said. It, it, God's provision of rest, the peace from the surrounding cities, was a function of the people's pursuit of God. They were pursuing God and God gave them peace with their enemies or the people surrounding them. That enabled Judah to rebuild. And I think, was that a lack of faith? I don't think so. I think it was the balance between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. I think, does God expect us to go to work in the morning to make a living so that we can provide for our family? Absolutely. Does he expect us to be a workaholic? Absolutely not. We have a responsibility. God has a responsibility. So we balance that. They seized upon the tranquility to prepare for future hostility. They were preparing during the peacetime. What's a lesson? I think as for me and, and for us as, as spiritual leaders and then for all believers, I think we should be inspired to encourage and exhort allegiance and obedience to God, which led to the tranquility. But sometimes there'll be turmoil. You know, let's be honest, we live in a fallen world. So there's tranquility, but then there's turmoil. And when God blesses us with tranquility, we should be preparing for the turmoil that's coming. Because it's going to come. And I think there will be threats. Threats to unity in the church. Threats to unity in our family. In the body that we live in, our, our family. There'll be threats to religious liberty. We saw that during the whole COVID-19 thing, right? Uh, there, there, there are threats to religious liberty. There's threats in our culture and in the church to fidelity to, to God and to Jesus and to the Word. I mean, folks, I've said it before. The, 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 the whole CRT thing and this, uh, you know, is, is antithetical to Scripture. It's a neo-Marxist idea that's predicated upon racism, just transferring racism from one race to another. It's, it's ludicrous and antithetical to the scripture. So there are threats. Just this week, just this last week, Yeshua, which is a school, a Jewish school in New York, was told by a district court judge, and then the Supreme Court uh, basically upheld that decision, that they must provide space and support a student group on campus, an LGBTQ plus student group on campus, in violation of their Religious convictions. Now it's probably going to end up in the Supreme Court again eventually. But this is the, the, the battle. We aren't fortifying uh, 
walls yet, I don't think literal walls, okay, to prevent foreign invasion, but we should be caring for the facility that God gives us to worship in. We should be strategically looking ahead like maybe hiring an associate in youth ministry to minister to the youth. We should be doing things that educating and equipping people in the church to do evangelism and to push back against the uh, cultural anti-biblical stuff like through this sermon series and through teaching in our small groups. We should be preparing for hostility that's coming. Remove the idols. Refocus on God. Reinforce. And now rely on God. We've reinforced. We've done what we can, humanly speaking. So now we just rest in God. Verses 8 through 11 is a fascinating uh, picture here. Now Asa had an army, 300,000 from Judah and, and 280,000 from uh, Benjamin. 580,000. Ethiopians had a million. And uh, the million came against the 580,000, almost a two-to-one advantage, right? Plus 300 chariots. And Asa's humble recognition of their dependence is instructive. Notice how in this text he acknowledges God's absolute sovereignty. Verse 11, he says, Then Asa called to the Lord his God, and he said, Lord, there is no one besides you. Nobody but you. To help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So he acknowledges God's sovereignty. God, there's nobody but you. Then he acknowledges their frailty. To help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us. I wonder how often that's our prayer. How often do we actually come to the realization that God is absolutely sovereign over all of our life? I had no control over flight patterns. I have no control over canceled flights, mechanical errors, problems with uh, the, the, the people who were supposed to be there on serving us, the pilots and the flight crew. I have no control over weather, but I have a God who is. I have no control over whether my children will surrender their lives and follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I have no control over a storm that could destroy my home. I have no control over so many things. Everything I have no control over. But I know the God who does. He asked, Asa asked the Lord to join them in defending his name. I'm thinking, wow. I mean, this, this prayer just uh, blows my mind. I just think, Lord, how, how simple it could be, but how profound it could be. Lord, there is no one besides you to help me in my business, to help me in my job, to help me in my health, to be with me in my desperate 
physical condition, to deal with my family conflict. There is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful, the cultural forces that are thrust upon us, the tidal wave of immorality that's sweeping across this country. There is no one who is able to help us in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, Lord. So help us. Defend your name. I remember after a at the time, important basketball game, coming to one of my son's teammates, and I, I said, you know what? I said, this is a, a Proverbs 21, 31 deal. And uh, he, he looked at me with a blank stare, and I said, the horse is prepared for battle, but the victory is from the Lord. Asa, and his, they'd done what they could to prepare, right? And the horse is prepared for battle, but the victory is from the Lord. So my challenge for myself and for us is, is here, do the work. We need to pray. We need to teach. We need to prepare. We need to cast vision. We need to serve each other. We need to love each other. We need to recognize that God is sovereign over all of it. And humbly say, Lord, help us in our search for a youth pastor. We want the guy that you want to be here. Help us in our ministry activities, Lord, to proclaim the gospel and to show the love of Christ. When people walk through the door, we want people to feel welcome. We want them to know that, that God loves them. And we want to love each other and encourage each other in reaching people, in facing these people who seem to be against us, who are educating our children in anti-godly stuff at the public school. We want your wisdom. And then show our frailty. Apart from you, Lord, we can do nothing. And then I like it. What was he praying? We're here, Lord, to defend your name. We want your glory. We're here to defend you. And then we see the result, okay, of removing the idols, and refocusing on God, reinforcing and relying on Him. What was it? They realized God's blessing. Consider the results. And it was devastating for the Ethiopians. If you look at verse 12, so the Lord routed, that's what the New American Standard said, the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him, verse 13, pursued them as far as Gerar, so many Ethiopians fell that they could not recover, for they were shattered before. And that, that's a term like a, a piece of pottery, you know? And you throw it on the, I mean, it just, it just becomes into so many pieces, there's no way you're putting that thing back together again. And so they were, they were shattered. And the people destroyed all the cities and they despoiled all the cities and, and then they took all the people who had livestock and they took care of them and then they brought all this livestock in. You think, well, that sounds a little bit like the prosperity gospel, Pastor. You know, just do what God wants and you're going to be rich. No, that's not what I'm saying. I don't think that's got what God's word is saying. It's a reminder that God is on the side of those who fear him. God is not obligated to, to always give us some physical victory. But there will be certain calamity for those who rebel against him. That's certain. God never blesses what's unholy. There are blessings, not blessings, there are, not always 
immediate, not always visible, not always tangible. There are blessings from seeking the Lord. And there is only folly for those who are trusting in themselves. Real success comes through our reliance upon God and our reverence for Him. Look at chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. A a separate incident, but stating a principle that is true and repeated throughout this whole section of 2 Chronicles. And he, that is Asa, and no, uh, Azariah, went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Benjamin, Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. He is with you when you are with him. He is present and powerfully working with you if you are actually connected to, dependent upon, and living in communion with him. So, if you're here this morning and you, like, are not in a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, you are forsaken. Because God is not with you in, in, in the sense of being one of His child, one of His children. I mean, all of us are born in rebellion against God, and, and you have never waved the white flag of surrender and yielded yourselves to what Christ has done. We all deserve the wrath of God, but Jesus went to the cross And suffered and died in our place so that all who would believe in him would be forgiven and be brought into communion with God. But you must receive that gift that God gives through his son Jesus. And personally accept Jesus' death as the payment you deserve. For by grace we've been saved through faith. Faith, trust. And that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Not as a result of work so nobody could boast. And so my challenge for you is, will you believe and live or will you remain forsaken? Trust Christ today. And if you and I know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, guess what? He is with us if we are with Him in the sense that we're communing with Him. We're connected to Him. So we must remove the idols. We must refocus on God. Reinforce during the times of tranquility. And rely upon Him. Lord, there is no one to help but You. And then we will know His blessing. Maybe it won't be today. Maybe it won't be immediate. Maybe it won't be tangible. Maybe it won't be visible. But it will be permanent. And what better way uh, to refocus on God and to experience and to know His presence than to remember what He did for us when He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross. As we take the bread and the juice, we're reminded of the sacrifice that He made so that we could live with Him and be with Him and He would be with us to give us courage and strength to stand. The Lord is with us when we are with Him, when our heart is wholly devoted to Him. And so if you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, take a moment or two to search your heart and confess your sin. And then as God leads you during the next song, as the praise team plays, you come either to the front or to the back and you can take the bread and take the juice in celebration of what God has done for you in freeing you.
from the bondage of sin. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts, that you would mold us to be the people like Asa, whose heart was wholly devoted to you all the days of his life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. my mind to Calvary where Jesus went and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my Savior that cursed Body bound and drenched in tears, they lay him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance seen by heaven.
sing one more song together. Um, and as we do that, we will uh, invite those to uh, partake in the offering, which you can do uh, on your way out of the sanctuary. Look for the uh, box in the, on the welcome table, the offering box. So let's give thanks uh, for that before we do that. Father, we are grateful again for time together, uh, gathered as the people who have been called uh, to be a part of your family, to be a part of your kingdom. And we just pray that you would reignite uh, our hearts and our minds to serve you. Um, help us to forsake the things that keep us uh, from serving you and following after Jesus. Uh, Father, we just uh, thank you for this story of Asa and the way that he tore down those idols um, and recommitted uh, himself and and the people of Israel to follow after you. Uh, Father, we just need your spirit. We need your strength. Uh, we can't do this on our own. We confess uh, that we are weak in the face of, of what we see that needs to be done. And yet we thank you that your strength is sufficient for us. Your power is made perfect in weakness. And so we thank you for this time together. Uh, we commit our way to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for coming. We look forward to seeing you back next week.